to do that on the front end now. So this is our time to say hello, give a shout out. Where are you watching from? How are things going? Uh, what's God teaching you right now during the COVID-19 lockdown? And as Florida starts to get back to whatever the new normal is going to look like, I'm starting to see lots, lots of more people out and about. So uh, let us know who you are, where you're watching from, and send us a greeting, and hopefully we'll be able to respond to that. I want to read Psalm 150. Is, our, is Facebook and YouTube both live now? Good deal. Um, and if you're, if you're having any trouble seeing or hearing, please let us know, and we do all we can to, to make whatever necessary adjustments we need to. I'm just thankful that you're with us today and that you're, that you're tuning in live. I want to read Psalm 150. <laughs> I'm going to read I'm going to read Psalm 150 to start our time out together. This is what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God and his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's why we're here today. We're here today to gather together as God's people, whether you're in your living room with your family or whether you're having a watch party with some friends or whether you're by yourself, however small or large your dwelling place is, uh, this is the day that God has made and, and he wants us to rejoice and be glad in it. And we have so many things to be thankful for. We have so many reasons to praise him and to give him thanks today, mainly that Jesus is risen from the grave. And every Sunday is an Easter, really, when you think about it. That's what we celebrate. God's grace to us, his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. Um, so that's why we're here today. And in just a few minutes, uh, Kyle and TJ are going to come and lead us in song. Uh, but until then, Give us a shout out. Give us a greeting. Let us know how you're doing out there. And uh, we love you and we miss you. And let me give you a, a, a big update and, and kind of a big announcement. We have been reaching out to Volusia County School District. Uh, as you know, the government has begun to lift some of the stay-at-home guidelines and have opened up retail shops, restaurants with some limitations. And so people are starting to get out and about again. And churches are starting to phase into the regathering. And so we wanted to do that as well. But as you know, we are uh, at the mercy of Volusia County School District. So we've been reaching out to the Volusia County officials, to the principal, to the vice principal, and asking them, look, when can we regather at the school? Uh, and so they sent us word just last week that the school district is not ready yet to allow anybody to rent their campus because they're, they're going by the CDC guidelines. And so we're still in a holding pattern with them. However, uh, the elders and some of our leadership team are going to meet early this week. And we're going to try and have a game plan for what regathering is going to look like for Grace Life. And we want to do that in phases. And so uh, pray for us. Pray that God gives us wisdom as we make those decisions this week. Hopefully as early as Tuesday. Uh, certainly by Wednesday, I would think we would have a word about uh, if we're all going to try to gather in one place or if we're going to do it by community groups or gathering and, and house parties or if there's you know a picnic area or something just stay tuned we'll, we'll make sure and get word out to you what we're going to do uh, but i want to ask kyle and tj now to come and, and lead us in song and we'll spend some time in god's word guys
Well, good morning, everyone. Um, feel free to stand or sit, whatever you want to do, and uh, just sing loud this morning. Let's praise. Let's praise our Lord and King.
Lord, we want to praise you this morning that no matter what's going on in our life, we can always trust you and we can always cling to you, God. And I thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. And you are always with us, God, no matter what we do, no matter how many times we fall, Lord, you still love us the same. I pray that we can sing this next song with confidence this morning, Lord, and just pour out praises to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Oh, 
Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living hope. Lord, we praise you today, Father, that you are our living hope. The grave did not keep you, Lord. You defeated the grave. You defeated sin. You conquered death, Lord. And because of that, we have conquered death, God. The end of this life is only the beginning of our true life, Father, in eternity with you, Lord, with new bodies and new lives, God. I pray that you help us be excited about that, Lord. And uh, I also pray for Tommy today as he delivers the message, Lord, speak through him. and Let our hearts receive what you want us to receive today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, all. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 130, and it starts, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Thank you, Megan, Kyle, and TJ. Good to be with you again today. And you can just leave your Bibles open to Psalm 130 or leave your smart device turned on there. Uh, first of all, I just want to wish all you moms out there happy Mother's Day. This may be the strangest Mother Day, Mother's Day that you've celebrated together, and it's one for the history books, right? But uh, all of us have tasted the kindness uh, in one form or shape another from, from moms and from daughters out there. So uh, I just pray that we would all show some love and kindness to the moms in our life and the moms in our communities and in our circles. Um, and this is not particularly what you might consider a Mother's Day message. And hey, full transparency here, <laughs> just because of the weirdness of everything that's going on with the pandemic, I've just, I've completely misunderstood the Mother's Day date. I thought it was actually next Sunday. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the teachers in our church, Brent Carnathan, was preparing to teach a Mother's Day uh, message next week. And then we both figured out about the same time, Brent, shout out to you, that it was actually today. So uh, if you're looking for a Mother's Day message, this will apply, but Brent's gonna share, I believe the message on adoption next week. So you can tune into him at that time. But I just wanna wish everybody a happy Mother's Day, and uh, I want to pause and pray and ask God to just watch over our time together and remove any distractions, even in your own house, in your own living room, just to help us focus for the next few minutes on what he wants to teach us in his word. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to us to be our teacher, 
to convict us, to open our hearts, to see the beauty and the power of Jesus and to see our sin and to, to feel our desperate need for the redemptive power of, of, of Christ and to illuminate our minds and our hearts to the truths in the Bible. If your Holy Spirit doesn't come, Lord, these will just be spoken words. They'll be empty. They'll be powerless. They will fall flat. Uh, they will, will have no unction at all. Your spirit brings life and breathes life uh, into messages, into people. And as, as Charles Spurgeon used to whisper to himself as he walked up to the pulpit uh, in London so many years ago, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe in, in your Holy Spirit. And I ask you and beg you now to please send him, Lord. Don't let this message fall flat. Make it live in our hearts, God, and help us to all realize our desperate need for you to come and help us now open our eyes to see wonderful things from this song. We know that they're there and we desperately want to feel them and celebrate them and to enjoy them and to fully experience them. But we can't without your help, Lord. It'll just be ink on paper or flat words spoken through a computer screen or a smartphone. So come now and help us to see these things and, and rejoice in them. I pray this in, in Jesus name. Amen. Well, there was a man by the name of David Laveau, um, and he, back in 2011, not far from where my family and I were living in Southern California at the time, he was coming home one night uh, after dinner around 7 p.m., and he was driving on a lonely stretch of desolate highway in the California mountains uh, in Canyon Country. And Around the corner came a car with their bright headlights on, and he was temporarily blinded by that oncoming car. And so he did what a lot of people do. He panicked, and he slammed on the brakes. He was coming to the edge of a cliff, and his car flipped. And off he went, and down he plunged 200 feet to the bottom of an embankment. And he crashed hard and suffered pretty severe trauma, multiple fractures to his body, uh, pretty significant injuries. Um, he was not in a good place. So after he crawled out of his car and took stock of his surroundings, he made a very gruesome discovery. Just inches from his wrecked car, he saw a second wrecked car and he peered inside that car and saw the decomposing remains of a solitary man that had apparently been there for some time. And his reality hit him. Nobody can see me down here. Nobody can hear my screams for help. I'm going to die down here alone and abandoned and trapped. So he was weak from his injuries and he laid down there for days. And as you can imagine, in the California heat, he began to languish and he cried out for somebody to rescue him until he lost his voice, until his body was just exhausted. He actually ate black ants, tree leaves and bumblebees for five days and he was sipping on the dirty creek water that he could find there down at the bottom of that cliff. He could hear the sound of the cars driving back and forth on the highway above him. He could see their headlights every night, but he knew that none of them could hear him. He was out of hearing range and he was out of sight. He was alone at the bottom trapped. But by the fifth night, David, who was a father of six, was at his wits end. And so he said a prayer to God he closed his eyes and he said, God, I can't do this anymore. This is it. Please help me. And he wrote on the dust of the hood of his wreck car. He wrote these words. Um, I love you kids. Dead man was not my fault. Love dad. Mm -hmm. 
What he didn't know was at that very moment that he had prayed that prayer, three of his six children had been looking for him frantically and desperately for days. They'd been driving back and forth on this lonely stretch of highway, um, calling out his name and listening intently for their father. Um, they had contacted a, a deputy sheriff who had pinged on a cell phone tower, the last location of his cell phone. See, when he wrecked and plunged down that cliff, he had lost his cell phone. He had no means to contact anybody. So within a 50 mile circle, they had been searching frantically. And at that very moment that he prayed that, they were up there looking for him and yelling down for him. And his daughter, Lisa, recalls, she said, my brother, Sean, got out of the car and we were screaming. And then we heard it. We heard dad's weak, pathetic voice crying out, help, help. And then we looked and we saw him. We saw the wrecked car and we saw our father. There he was. Sean heard his father's voice and he began the long climb down to get his dad. And he remembers that event, what it was like. This is what he said. He said, he smelled so bad, but I still held him. And we both cried and cried and cried. I couldn't believe it. So David Laveau made a full recovery. His story had a happy ending, but that other man didn't have a happy ending. Nobody knew he was down there. And apparently he wasn't able to crawl out of his car from the severity of his injuries and cry out for help. So he decomposed and died all alone, trapped at the bottom of that canyon. So it turns out crying out for help at the bottom of a 200 foot deep ravine saved David's life. That story is moving and that story is also instructive for us. What do you do when the bottom falls out and it takes you with it? What do you do? Well, this psalmist, whoever he was, we don't know. It doesn't say David or Asaph or the sons of Korah. It's anonymous. The author is anonymous, but it could have very easily been any of us because that happens. It's not really if this happens to us, even as believers, it's when. What do you do when the bottom falls out? Well, I believe this psalmist answers that question, and we're going to look at just four points today, okay? Four points. What do you do when, not if, when the bottom falls out and it takes you with it? What do you do? How do you respond? Well, here's point number one. Cry out. Cry out. Let's look at this together. A song of ascents. Out of the depths, I cry to you. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Out of the depths. You know, I got the title for this message from Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. It's called The Message. Many of you probably use it. It's especially electric when you read the Psalms. That's where he focused most of his translating energies. And he translates verse one like this. Help God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. If you use the ESV version, it just simply says out of the depths, I cry to you. Depths. Out of the depths. That's a great metaphor for what we suffer, even as Christians sometimes. But for this psalmist, it was much more than, than a metaphor. It was reality. That's where he found himself. He's floundering. He is in terror. He's alone. He's afraid. All of those, all of those ideas and adjectives are packed into this one verse, depths. Every time that word in Hebrew is used in the Old Testament, it's always connected with the ocean, the sea, um, which for, for an Israelite, you know, we think of the ocean here in Florida, oh, it's wonderful, let's go to the beach. They didn't think of it that way. The ocean was chaotic. It was unexplored. It represented terrible danger, suspicion. Leviathan was out there. It was dark. It was deep. It was mysterious. It was deadly and dangerous. So 
Um, Psalm 69 kind of puts some clothes on what seems to be kind of naked in Psalm 130. Listen to what Psalm 69 says. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. So this psalmist, Psalm 130, he is stuck. He is trapped. He's sinking. He's alone. He's exhausted. All those ideas are pressed in that one phrase, out of the depths. And, and I believe he's talking about feeling and experiencing this alienation from God. Fellowship with God has been broken and he feels abandoned. He feels alone. Um, he feels helpless. He feels in distress. He feels desperate. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like you're in such distress? Do you feel like you were at the bottom? The bottom is falling out of your life and you are all alone and you're trapped and you have nowhere else to go. What do you do? Well, point number one is you cry out. And, and I would say this. I think where a lot of Christians struggle, and this is a Christian, this is a believer. I think where a lot of Christians struggle is we never make it that far. You know, we don't, we don't cry out. It's, it's, it's too hard. It's too embarrassing. We're too ashamed. We feel too broken. We, we, we feel like we have to save face. We have to never let them see you sweat. Put your best, best foot forward, project strength. Um, Ray Ortland helped me by saying this phrase years ago. He said, I think the one thing that helps Christians make it when some seem to flounder so often is this, stay honest. Just be honest. You gotta appreciate the honesty of this psalmist. He says, God help, I have nowhere else to go. I'm in a pit, the bottom has fallen out of my life. And if you don't help me, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it. If you write this step out of climbing out of the pit, um, you're not going to make it. There's no future for you. You can black out the rest of the psalm. You're never going to get there. You can't bypass this step. This is so critical. In fact, let's, let's take that, that depth analogy deeper. If you're a visual learner, just think of a 100-foot hole, and you're in the bottom, and it's filling up with water, and, and the sides of it are just sheer, smooth, slippery, slimy, muddy. You can't get out. There's no way you can climb out on your own. And I think that's the issue for so many Christians. See, we've trained ourselves. We've taught ourselves. I'm in this hole, but I'll fix this. I'll get out of this. You know, maybe you're like a Jacob and you're just so clever and you've manipulated, you've controlled, you've charmed your way through life. And finally, you're in a pit and you can't get out of it. If you don't cry out to God, you're hopeless. Down in that pit is where you're going to stay. Like that second wrecked car, you're going to be spiritually decomposing and they're going to find you at the bottom all by yourself. The flood water swept over you and you're finished. Learn what the psalmist teaches us right here. How do you get out of a hole? You don't climb out, you cry out. If you don't cry out, nobody else is going to come and get you. He's not crying for his mommy. He's not crying for his brothers, for his sisters, for a priest, for a prophet, for a king, for the government, for his pastor, for his church. He's crying out to God because God's the only one that can hear your voice. He's the only one that can do anything. When all other available resources have failed, and look, don't even wait that long. Let God be the first object of your cry. God, help me. I'm down here. You know I'm down here. Here I am, and I'm not going anywhere if you don't help me. You've got to love the honesty of the Psalms. If you need help learning how to be honest in your prayers, go get the worship manual from the Old Testament and and and. Try this. You read through the Psalms and you evaluate your prayer life with the prayer life of the psalmist. I think so many times, man, we 
just being straight up honest today, we just prepackage our prayers with niceties and it's just so clean and so tidy and so neat. And man, you go to the Psalms, they're messy prayers. These people are dying, they're languishing, they're in distress. It's almost, can I say, it's almost like embarrassing. You feel for them, you blush when you read it. You're like, oh my goodness, come on, pull yourself together. But no, aren't you glad God never says that? Will you stop already? Will you stop crying? We say that as parents. I do. I'm ashamed to tell you that. Stop crying. Grow up. Pull yourself together. Get a grip. God never says that to us. He, he invites us. He beckons us. This is what the fatherly heart of God most wants to hear from his children when they are at the bottom, when the bottom has fallen out on their life. He says, will you learn this? Will you cry out to me? I'm listening. You have my ear. You have my ear. That's, that's who God is and that's how God is. Don't suffer in silence. Don't become a statistic. Cry out to God. That's how you get out of a hole. You don't climb your way out. You cry yourself out. Look, it's Mother's Day, and if you're a mom, you know this. Your children are playing peacefully in the next room, and they're making little chirps and giggles and, and laughs, but then suddenly you hear this cry, and you know that cry, right? You know that cry, my kid needs me right now. How much more does God recognize, recognize the pitiful, pathetic, desperate cries of his people? He does. He does. He wants us to cry out to him. When you're underwater and the weight is heavy and it's crushing you, there's nothing else you can do. You know, I got, I have an embarrassing um, confession to make, and you're going to think I'm silly for it. I love to swim and I love to explore and I can hold my breath for a little while. Not as long as my father-in-law. Shout out to you, Allie. can hold his breath for five minutes. I wish I had that. Uh, my wife's family has that trait. They can hold their breath longer than I can, and they can go a lot deeper when we go swimming at the ocean or we go to uh, oh, uh, Blue Springs, and you can go down the kind of like the lava pit down there. Um, they can depressurize. There's, there's, there's this thing you can do. You know, you can, you can depressurize. You can like hold your breath, blow your ears out, and something pops, and bam, you're good, man. It's like you're a fish. You can go down as deep as you want in your body. Uh, your body somehow fixes itself where the pressure doesn't hurt you. I can't do that. I can't do that. I've tried. I've read articles. I've studied it. I've read Wikipedia entries. I can't do it. My body will not let me. I cannot depressurize under the water, which means this. It hurts me really bad. The deeper I go underwater, even a 12-foot swimming pool, guys, growing up, I tried to pretend when my buddies were around it hurt me down there. I'm dying. I feel like I'm going to implode. My body's going to like wrinkle up and shrivel. Um, I can't depressurize. And maybe God did that to me to remind me. It's not natural for us to be under that much, that weight of water. It crushes us. And I, you know, I'm not a fish. I don't have gills. And I think for Christians, you should never just depressurize yourself and think, oh, I'm fine. It doesn't hurt that bad. Don't, don't live that way. You weren't meant to live in the depths, the way this psalmist is crying out, he knows I don't belong down here. This is hurting me, this is crushing me, this is gonna destroy me. God's gotta get me out of here or I'm gonna die. So you know what, I'm one up on you. I can't depressurize, I've got a built-in reminder. Maybe you need a built-in reminder too. We're not intended as Christians to live down there, but you know what I've discovered as a Christian, as a pastor, as a church planner, and as a counselor, this is where a lot of Christians spend the majority of their lives. And I'm, that, that, that grieves my heart. And you know who else is grieved by it? God is. 
because he's waiting on us to cry out to come and rescue us, but we won't. We won't. We project strength. Oh, we'll, we'll be okay. We use words like I'm struggling instead of, man, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm helpless. Somebody's got to get me out of here or I'm done or I'm doomed. So that's point number one, uh, cry out. And here's point number two. And look, I know, I know that there are so many, when you think I'm in the depths, I'm in the pit, I'm underwater, I'm languishing, I'm dying, I'm trapped, I'm alone. There could be a lot of reasons for that. And you know, all of the Bible talks about that. Maybe somebody has sinned against you. Maybe you're a victim of abuse or, or uh, spiritual abuse or uh, physical abuse or sexual abuse. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you have anxiety. Maybe there's a million other reasons. But this psalm lists one reason, and I want to be faithful to this psalm. And I believe in my heart that, that a lot of Christians struggle with this. The reason that this psalmist finds himself in the depths is because of his own guilt, his own sin. And that's why point number two is you don't just cry out, you fess up. <laughs> you confess up to God. First, you cry out to God, you've got his attention. And the next thing that comes is this psalmist is saying, Lord, I'm in a pit, I'm in trouble, and it's my fault. I'm responsible. I put myself here. I took the steps, I knew better, I did it. I'm messed up, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm humiliated, but I'm confessing my sin to you. My sin put me here and I can't climb out, I can't help myself. But let me prove it to you, check this out. Let's read the next few verses. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then check out verse three and four. And listen, just straight up warning, we're gonna camp out for the rest of the sermon, probably, primarily in these two verses. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So did you hear what the song, he's talking about depths. He's talking about crying out to God. Please hear me. Listen to my voice. I'm begging you. And then he switches the subject and he starts talking about sin and iniquity and guilt and forgiveness. So without a question, I don't know how you can escape the application from the Psalm. This is a believer who sent himself into the depths. We don't know what the sin is. We don't know. And maybe that's a good thing because this is like the many generic Psalms. It's like one size fits all. If he would have told us what the sin is, maybe he would have written this off and said, well, he, this is not applicable to me. It is, it is applicable to you. I don't care what the sin is that you found yourself guilty of and you feel polluted, you feel defiled, you feel dirty and perverted and disgusting. It doesn't matter. You need to do what the psalmist does. Cry out and confess up and say, Lord, here I am and I'm guilty. I have, this is, this is a, a pit of my own making. I have dug this literally and stepped into my own uh, and to my own mess and I can't get myself out of this. I'm, I'm caught up in it. I'm, I'm and, and, and here's what's interesting. This psalmist is not defending himself. He's not making excuses. Um, that's, what, that's not what this prayer is about, which is so often what confession has turned into for Christians. We make light of our sin. We trivialize the guilt. He's not saying that. He's saying, God, here I am, and this is where I belong. I deserve this. I deserve to be here. And the only thing that can possibly help me out is you being a forgiving God. And I'm crying out to you based on the promises that I have read in the Bible that with you, there is forgiveness and you are ready to lavish 
that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy upon me. And that's the only hope that I have. I don't have any other hope. That's what this psalm is about. It's about confession. This man is shaken. Have you ever been shaken to your core? I, I, I wonder sometimes, sometimes Christians, that needs to be a fresh memory to us. What is it like to be shaken with just this sense of gravity of your guilt that you have committed against Almighty God and to just be shaken to the core by that? Spurgeon said this about this song, Charles Spurgeon. He said, deep places beget deep devotion. Deep places beget deep devotion. There are thoughts and conclusions you're going to reach about your life that are going to happen nowhere other than in the depths. That's the place where we began to rethink our life at a deep level. And, and that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Sometimes God allowing us to be in the depths is, is saving grace to us. It's a reminder that, hey, I'm still here. You still need me and you've forgotten that. And God gives us these beautiful reminders. You know, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Even this, even this pit, you know, that man, David Laveau, uh, years later, he did an interview and he said that was a turning point in the life of my family. He had six kids. Some of them were estranged. They weren't in a good place. And he called that not only his second chance for living a good life, but as God's redemptive moment for him to be able to reconnect to his family. So deaths can have a happy ending if we if we cry out to God and, and confess our sin. It's interesting here. The word that this psalmist uses for sin is iniquity. He said, if you, O Lord should mark iniquities, then who could stand a chance, God? We'd all be doomed. Lord, if you keep a track record of all the sins of your children, we're hopeless. But the word he uses is iniquity. And in Hebrew, that word is just filled with, with electricity because here's what it means. It means bent out of shape, irreparably bent, twisted and crooked. It means your life because of, of the consequences of your actions and decisions and thoughts, it won't work right. It's broken, it's bent, it's misaligned, and somebody has to fix it. Have you ever experienced that? Not just your a bad wreck decision, but it's made you to where your life doesn't work the right way. It's twisted out of shape, it's crooked, it's bent. Um, I love football, and I played football for you know, as long as I could until they wouldn't let me anymore. And they said, you're not good enough at this level, at the college level. So the first play time that I ever got was in eighth grade. Uh, and we were playing, you know, out of the county. We were playing a team, I think Carothersville, Missouri, or somewhere like that. And I was in eighth grade, and there was an exceptional athlete on our team. And he started on the first string. His name was Dustin Beasley. This kid was like a, a, an athletic phenomenon. He could outrun the coach. He had a beard when he was like 10. You know, he was one of those kids. Uh, no kidding. He, he, he would have set track records in, in the state of Arkansas. But something happened that night that changed his life forever. He was running a 27 sweep to the left. And he was, as usual, outrunning, outpacing all his opponents. And this huge linebacker came and just crushed him. And when he fell that night, there was this loud snap sound that and you could hear it throughout the whole stadium. His femur just snapped in two. And I heard that snap. Everybody else on our team in the silence, his parents up in the stands, they heard that snap. But I can close my eyes right now and I can hear that snap. But more than that, I can hear this howl, this, this agonizing scream that sounded inhuman 
and it was Dustin crying out. And I walked over and I looked at his leg and it was bent the wrong way. It was twisted. It was crooked. It was broken. Uh, man, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget what the coach said next. He looked at me and said, Clayton, you're in. <laughs> and I said, well, hang on, coach. Is, is the guy that did that to him, he's still out there, right? That was my first play time. But I will never forget Dustin Beasley's femur being broken, being being just snapped, crooked, bent out of shape. You know, when, when we hear that phrase, bent out of shape, it doesn't carry in English what it, what it does here. It usually means we're angry, we're out of sorts, we're in a bad mood. The word iniquity means your life, your heart is bent out of shape. It's twisted, it's crooked, it's perverted in some way. It's misaligned, it won't work right, it's broken. And unless God does something to fix it, you're doomed. That's what this psalmist is confessing with this word. Uh, and it's really a powerful word. Uh, there's only one person who can hear you and who can get you out of this pit, and it's God. Uh, I want to I ask you a question right now, okay? And if you want to, you can comment. I can't see it right now, but hopefully we can interact and respond later. What do you think causes Christians now? Christians still sin. You know that, right? 1 John 1, 9, if, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Not when we sin, but if we sin, or since we sin is the better translation in Greek. Since we sin, if we're, if we're confessing that sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us. But comment, what do you think it is that most causes Christians to be reluctant to cry out and to confess up? What do you think causes us to not do that? Because I have a theory, and it's based on history observation in my, in my own heart. And I think it's a few things. One, we're angry. We're just so bitter and so angry. I'm not talking to anybody about this, let alone God. I mean, I meet people all the time. They are so angry and bitter and frustrated at God because their life isn't working out the way that they had hoped or expected that it should, or they think that they deserve that it should, you know, when in fact, the brokenness of their life is, is their own making. It's their own fault and they're angry at God. And he's the last person I'm going to talk to. So maybe it's anger, um, maybe it's it's fear, maybe it's fear. It's God won't listen to me. He he won't hear me. He he'll judge me. He doesn't. He's not welcoming to me in His presence right now. I think one of the most powerful factors, honestly, is shame. It's shame. You know, people have called shame the silent killer, and uh, I've shared this before, uh, but it bears repeating. Uh, I read an article years ago when one of my children almost you know, was choking and thankfully we were able to, you know, get the food that was lodged out of their mouth. And I began to study that. And did you know that choking um, kills a lot of people, but not for the reason you might think. The reason that choking kills so many people is not because they can't, that they can't, uh, people can't help them get that dislodged. In fact, most of the food that gets caught in your throat can be dislodged pretty easily with the Heimlich maneuver. It's because people are so ashamed. They're at a restaurant. They're out dining, fine dining, people around, uh, and they got this food stuck in their throat, and they can't breathe, and they're ashamed. So you know what they do? They go to the bathroom to work it out, to fix themselves, uh, and the writer of the article I read said it ends up being a one-way trip to the bathroom. They walk in, and they get carried out because they're dead. They're so ashamed to cry out or to wave or make the choking gesture. Please, somebody, I can't breathe. Come and help me. I think shame causes a lot of Christians 
to neglect and to forfeit the help that God is so willing and eager to give. I think it's shame. Um, and one of the ways that maybe I can apply that is where I want to camp out the rest of this psalm. Uh, and this is just so powerful. I, I pray, Lord, please help us to understand if somebody out there right now desperately needs to hear what we're going to talk about the rest of this message. Please help them to understand it. Help me to articulate it, God. Look at verse three and four with me again, okay? Because it says something really strange here. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Do you hear the contrast here? He says, Lord, if you are an iniquity marking God, if you're a God who's up there and all you're doing is keeping tally on us, we're doomed. But then he says this, but with you, there is forgiveness. Do you hear the contrast? He's saying, Lord, I'm no better than to think that you're just up there keeping tallies on my sin as one of your children. I know that's not true. If it were, we'd be doomed. Now, if you're an unbeliever, it certainly is true. God is keeping an account of every wrongdoing, every thought, every deed, every word. But if you're a child of God, you're justified, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you're adopted, you're united with God through Christ. Um, he says, I know that's not true for believers because with you is forgiveness. You know, in Hebrew, there's not even a verb here. It's implied. It literally reads this way. But with you, forgiveness. I just wonder, friends, if so often the cause that makes us so reluctant and, and hesitant to, to cry out and, and to confess up to God is that we do not view God the right way. We do believe he is an iniquity marking God and he's keeping a tally and we forget with you forgiveness. I wonder what, what are the first, we talked about this a little bit last week, what are the first thoughts that come into your mind when you've sinned and you feel guilty and, vi and vile and polluted and you're thinking of God, what are the first thoughts that come into your mind? God won't understand. God won't receive you. He won't, he won't pardon you. He won't cleanse you. He won't welcome you back. Or is it with you? Forgiveness. Because listen, friends, that's the only hope that this psalmist had. And that's the only hope that we have. Not if the bottom falls out on your life. When I wonder if you're going to remember this, and, and, and I'll tell you what, why don't you just bookmark this psalm right now? Because I can promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, you're going to need it one day and I'm going to need it. You already have needed it. I've already needed it plenty of times in my life. And I needed, I needed help from, from a patient, kind, understanding Christian to point me back to this. With you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness. I just wonder how often we forget that. You know, I, I've told this story before, so forgive me uh, if I'm just like the old man that keeps telling the same story over and over again. But a turning point for me in my life that led ultimately to my conversion was when I was 21 years old and I was out running around, messing around, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. I was an unbeliever and uh, I was drinking that night and I was driving that night. And at three in the morning, I got pulled over by a policeman. And he did a breathalyzer test and very short time. He said, um, I'm going to have to, you have to park your truck there, buddy. And I got to take you downtown. Um, and so there I was 21 year old kid, three in the morning, drunk and in jail. Man, you know, <laughs> I, seriously, I, 
when I was writing my notes, I thought, I don't want to say I was drunk. You know, you know, I was inebriated. I was intoxicated. It's, isn't it funny how we just want to clean up the truth? I was drunk. I was, I was wasted. Okay. <laughs> Had way too much to drink. Thank God I didn't hurt anybody. Uh, and I belonged in jail. So there I was 21 years old, drunk in jail, three in the morning, nobody to call. Wasn't going to call any of my friends. None of them would have came anyway. Now, who do you think I called? I called my dad. <laughs> I called my dad, who probably had just gotten off work uh, a couple hours before and was just settling in for his nightly routine of going to sleep. I called my dad and he picked up the phone and it was almost as if he knew. <laughs> I mean, who calls your who calls at three in the morning, right? My dad picked up the phone and said, hello. And I said, dad, I said, I'm in jail and I'm drunk and I got a DWI. And I'm really sorry. Can you come get me? And you know what my dad said? He said, son, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. He didn't say, I'll come get you in the morning. Serves you right. He didn't say any of that. That was the, I thought that would be the longest wait of my life. My dad drives really slow. <laughs> dad, that always annoyed me. I know you're watching this. He goes like under the speed limit. It's probably a good thing. That was the fastest trip I think my dad ever made in his life. He came right up to the jail and walked through and he hugged me. No judgment, no condemnation, no I told you so's, no lectures. I needed my dad. <laughs> you know, and, and I want to I want to tell you something, friends. Our dad's the one that we need to call. And, I, and I'm making spiritual application here. Um, because if you don't call your dad, who, who are you going to call? You're, then you'll call the uncle or you'll call a brother or you'll call your grandma. You need your dad. Spiritually, we need our daddy. And if we're not convinced that he's going to pick up the phone and he's not going to mock us, he's not going to uh, heap guilt or scorn or derision on us, he's going to show up and he's going to have arms wide open. I mean, he knows we've been eating black ants and bumblebees and drinking dirty creek water. He's been up there all along waiting. He's been up there with you, forgiveness. Do you believe that about God? Because I'm convinced a lot of people don't, and that's the message they need to hear. My wife and I went to downtown Deland on Friday night, um, and I, I just pray that you understand this. You know, I saw some Christians that were up there holding signs, and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith to do that. I don't remember seeing this sign anywhere. There were things on those signs that a lot of people already know and already believe. I didn't find anywhere with God there is forgiveness. Um, when I was 22 years old, this is after I became a Christian, I moved to Florida. I went on a mission trip to Thailand. Um, and during that mission trip, we went up into a remote region where there was a tribe of, of native Thailand people and they had never had exposure to the gospel or an evangelist or biblical teaching or Christianity or church at all. It took us hours to get there. The road was so treacherous and rugged that we had to take two four by four Jeeps and a husband and wife that were on our team split up and rode in separate vehicles. So in case one of them went over the mountain, uh, their kids would at least have one parent, hopefully. So that's how, that's how remote this village was. We got up there and I felt like I had stepped out of a Jeep into a National Geographic documentary. Uh, just gonna keep it real and raw here. Women were walking around bare chested Men, most of the men in that tribe were naked and I was just blown away. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. And we had a, a, a local indigenous translator that was there with us. 
And he explained as best he could uh, from what I gathered that we were religious and we were there to talk to them. Well, here's where it got really interesting to me. One of the men in that village wanted to talk to me. I don't know, because I was the youngest maybe. And so me and the translator and this man went aside and I might add this, that guy had a huge machete in his hand, homemade machete, okay? So, so, so I'm thinking, what's this guy want to ask me about? That man began to pour out his heart to me and start confessing personal failures. Uh, now keep in mind, never had this man had any exposure to the 10 commandments, to the story about sin, guilt from the Old Testament, um, or about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, no exposure at all. He began to confess to me that he was unfaithful to his partner in that tribe, his wife. He was sexually active with other women. Uh, he drank too much alcohol. Apparently they made their own brew up there, right? Humans find a way, I guess. So this guy's pouring out all of his, all of the guilt that he had in his heart. Um, and I was able to uh, try and convince him, look, I'm not, I'm not a priest. I can't absolve you. I can't forgive you of your sins, but I can tell you about the one who can. And I did. I shared the gospel with that man. He was relieved. But here's the point I want to make. We are carrying around a message as, as Christians, as evangelists, not only to others, but to ourselves. And th I think so often we share a message. It's a good message. It's a biblical message. Um, but a lot of people already know that. Um, and what we leave out is what they don't know and, and what is the hardest for them to believe that with God, there is forgiveness. I wonder what, how would people fill in the blank? If you go out and survey unbelievers that all they've ever had uh, to gauge their, their interpretation of what Christianity is, is us. How would they fill in that blank? Hey, fill in this blank. With God, there is what? What would it be? I would imagine with a lot of them, it wouldn't be forgiveness. Maybe it would be judgment or whatever, fill in the blank. Um, I think this is a message we need to remind the world and we need to remind ourselves. That's what this psalmist, he's saying with you, there's thank God you're not up there keeping track of all my sins as one of your children. With you, there is forgiveness. And look, we could have gone to any number of places in the Old Testament. One of my favorites is Psalm 86.5. And he says, um, you are ready to forgive. Man, that's powerful right there, isn't it? Lord, you are ready to forgive. He's, it's as if God is eager to forgive. He can't wait. He's on the edge of the seat, just waiting for you and I to confess our sins so they can pour out mercy on us. Um, another quick illustration every year, my family and I drive from Florida to Arkansas. Uh, it's a 16 hour drive. I have six kids. It takes a long time. And it's by the time we get there, we're ready to, uh, to just have some alone time. I'll just say it that way, okay? But about halfway there in the heart of the Bible Belt, around the Georgia-Valdosta County line, I start seeing billboards. And they're, they're billboards that are sponsored by churches. Churches pay money to have these billboards made. And the messages are just really interesting to me because one of the first messages says this, um, love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, P.S. It, it basically says, that thing about love your neighbor as yourself, I meant that, God. And it's all these messages, and most of them have to do with the commandments, which that's great, man. I'm thrilled that we have some Bible placarded on billboards for millions of passerbys to see. Um, but what I never see is a billboard with, with like this verse on it, you know? <laughs> um, if we would just take verse 3 from Psalm 130 
and put that on a billboard. Heck, I'd pay for it. <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know how much it costs. Maybe you can find out. Um, with you, there is forgiveness. Man, I need to hear that. Don't you? Don't you need? It's like a cold drink of water to a parched, guilty soul at the bottom of the pit, drinking dirty creek water. Is that, Lord, with you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness. Come and get me, God. I'm drunk. I'm in jail. It's my fault. I'm guilty. But I know with you, there is forgiveness. So can you please come and get me out of here? Um, James Montgomery Boyce wrote a commentary on this psalm, and he said this. He said, you may be utterly ignorant of the Bible. You may not know a single item of theology. Know this, at least. There is forgiveness with God. <laughs> Don't you love that? Isn't that so? Amen, Sir James. Keep preaching it, brother. Um, it's interesting to me when Jesus is teaching us about prayer. Do you know one of the first uh, phrases he uses is, is when you pray, say this, our father who art in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on to, to teach his disciples in, in Matthew chapter seven, uh, verse 11. He says something really interesting. Now, remember, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And this is what he says. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you hear what Jesus is trying to tell us about God? When you pray to God, you are praying to a heavenly father who understands, who has compassion, who loves you and who has good gifts. Can you think of a better gift than forgiveness? Is there a better gift out there than that? You know, and he's contrasting that with with now. Remember, he's talking to his disciples here and he says, you're evil. <laughs> if you're evil and yet, you know, this idea of giving good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? The only condition is this. You have to ask. You have to ask him. You have to fess up. Um, Jack Miller once said this. He said, the love of God is shallow until there is depth to, to which it reaches. And that's so true. It says when we, when we come and we confess our sins to God, he is so eager and willing to carry it away. That's what the word forgiveness actually means. Did you know that? It means to bear something away, to carry something away. Well, what do you carry away? You carry away this person's uh, stain, their pollution, their guilt, their condemnation. The person stays and it's changed. The guilt gets carried away. And God gives the word pictures in the Bible like, I, I, I have forgiven them. I've cast their sins into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west, which, as you know, north and south, there's an equator line, right? One foot south, one foot north. East and west, there's, you can't tell where they began and where they end. They're so far away from each other. God wants you and I to know that about our sins. Um, I think that's what we so often forget. Listen. Sin and guilt can absolutely drown you. Sin and suffering and sadness, it can swallow you up whole. Did you know that? You know, if, if you've ever watched the tsunami, I don't know if you were as naive as I was when one of the first ones came out uh, and you could see that eerie footage of just everything in the path being destroyed. But I heard about it. I thought, oh, hang on a minute. People die in a tsunami. People who can swim, I don't get it. How do you die in water if you can swim? But then I watched this tsunami and it's like 
grinds up into hamburger meat any creature in its path. There's absolutely nothing you can do. If you are in the path of the tsunami, it's going to crush you, grind you up, chew you up, and spit you out. And I think of guilt like a tsunami now. I don't care how good of a swimmer. I don't, I don't care how good you can pretend, uh, how much spiritual dexterity you have. Guilt will swallow, it will chew you up and swallow you whole. In fact, just Friday afternoon, I heard about yet another pastor who took his own life, Darren Patrick. Maybe you heard about him. He was a church planner, had a large church in St. Louis, Missouri, and he began to have some personal problems, um, ha had inappropriate contact with some women, and he was ashamed. He stepped down from ministry, and then it turns out he was uh, maybe a bully and abusive in his church, and he was trying to get help. He was on a redemptive path. But maybe just that guilt and that condemnation just swallowed him up. And look, that's not just true of pastors. That's true of everybody. It, it, you can, you can, the guilt and, and the embarrassment and the humiliation and the shame can just chew you up. We need a reminder about this truth. With you, there is forgiveness. And then the next part is so incredible. Because check this out, verse four, verse three and four. He says, with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. That sounds so odd. I mean, just let's just let the oddness of that hit us for a minute. With you, there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. <laughs> Does that seem like that's the wrong word? Would you choose that word? God has all this forgiveness, and when I think about it, I fear him. Um, I think that's so odd to us because maybe we have misunderstood what the fear of the Lord is, what it really means in the Old Testament. We just think it means to be absolutely terrified of God. And that is just not what it means. Um, there's this idea of reverence and awe, feeling overwhelmed. The, the real, I think the best translation of this word here is worship. It's worship. With you, there is forgiveness and there's steadfast love and there's mercy and compassion and long suffering. And because that's true, um, you're worshiped. That's what the word fear means in the Old Testament. This word comes from that same family. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and here's what I think a great application of that is. By the way, the, the English Puritan John Owen wrote an exposition. That's just a fancy word for sermon. He wrote an exposition on this psalm that was 325 pages long. Bam! <laughs> so you think I preached long sermons. Man, and the majority of that exposition that he wrote was on verse... Verse four, verse four, most of his sermon was on with you, there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. What the heck? What's going on here? Listen, the name of our church is Grace Life, and it's no secret. I believe that the gospel should be front and center and should shape and form the people of God more deeply than any other truth, which is why we call ourselves Grace Life. I think people need grace more than they need anything else. And I've also met a lot of people that that leaves them unsettled and uneasy and afraid. And, and they're really nervous that, look, pastor, you got to be careful. I hear this a lot of the times, mostly from guests that come to our church and maybe hear a, a, a sermon on the gospel. And they say, that's great and all, but there's always the but. But uh, you got to be careful. You don't want people to get the wrong idea. You don't want people to presume on God and they'll go out and live their life any way they want. If you just keep talking about this grace and this forgiveness, people are going to take advantage of that, Pastor. And one of the verses that you can take people to is, is right here. It's like, hang on a minute. That's not what this psalm says. This psalm doesn't say that when God's forgiveness is just poured out on his people, they presume on him. 
They take advantage of him. Uh, they use it as an escape hatch to live a licentious life. No, not at all. It says right here, there's forgiveness with you so that you may be feared, so that you may be worshiped, so that you may be obeyed, so that I can live a life that pleases you. Look, you know what this leads to? It leads to gratitude. It does. <laughs> if you preach the gospel and preach grace in its right context, God's people are going to live happy lives of obedience. They're going to be grateful that they could be so vile, so polluted. They can have such filth and, and, and darkness in their hearts. And yet with God, they found forgiveness. They found grace that led to peace that leads to obedience and, and reverence. It leads, to, it leads to fear. People are going to take advantage of that. We leave that with God. We can't go around checking people, okay, and qualifying. We can't preach grace and then and then give all these qualifications for it. That's not astonishing. That's like the same grace that humans have. It always has conditions and qualifications. Well, if you do it again, though, no, no. With you, there is forgiveness. In fact, God wants this to be the first thing that comes to our mind when we think of him. And you remember in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses is begging God, show me your glory. That's a great prayer. God, show me your glory. I want to know the essence of who you are. Show me, prove to me, God, how glorious you are. Do you know how God answered that prayer of Moses? I actually, actually want to read this to you because it, it, it just blows me away every time that I read it. Here is what God said to answer uh, that prayer. I wrote it down somewhere. I'll have to find it, okay? <laughs> uh, it's in Exodus chapter 33, I think. And we'll close out here in a second. Well, you know what? I'm just going to try and quote it from memory here. This is what God says. Uh, when he covered Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed before Moses, you remember this, he had to hide Moses because his glory was so bright. He said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful and abounding in grace and steadfast love, um, slow to anger and quick to forgive uh, and cover the iniquities of his people. Now, he said some other stuff, too. That's the first half. It's almost as if God is saying, Moses, when you think of me, when you think of my essence, when you think of how glorious I am, think of this first. I'm compassionate and I'm abounding in steadfast love and I'm slow to anger and I'm slow to impute guilt. That's the first truths that God revealed to Moses, his great prophet and friend about himself. That was first. This is not marginal. This is not some truth that we hide away. This is truth that God wants to lavish out upon us and he wants the whole world to know it. And I think that we are slow to actually believe this. That's why there's so many built-in reminders throughout all of the Bible. Um, so sin and suffering and sadness can swallow you up. And that's why we need this message. Eugene Peterson translates verse four like this. He says, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. <laughs> if you should mark iniquities, God, and look at all the ways I'm twisted and broken and bent and, and don't work, then I'm hopeless. But as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. Man, do you believe, I wanna ask you, I'm looking at you right in the eyes out there, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever bottom, bottomless pit you're in right now, and I'm asking you, do you believe that, that forgiveness is God's habit and he can't wait 
to unleash forgiveness on you for whatever, whatever it is that you're ashamed of, no matter how vile or perverse, how far you have gone. You know, I sat my kids down the other day, like I do probably once a year, and I read the story of the prodigal son, and I said, look, guys, don't ever forget this. No matter how far you go from God, whatever pig's sty that you're in, eating the husk from the pig's food, don't you ever forget that when you turn around, God's just one step. Matt, thank you for reminding me of that the other day. We were walking together. He said, isn't it interesting? You travel so far from God, and you go down so far, and you run away miles and miles from God, and you turn around and cry out to him and he's right there. It's like God has followed you the whole way. You don't have to go back up over the mountain, climb up out of the pit and there God is. No, God, like that man's children, he goes down, he tra He traverses land and sea to find you. Uh, as it turns out, forgiveness is God's habit. And man, that is glorious news. And there's so much more I could say about it that I want to stop there. Uh, there's two other really quick points here. I just want to mention them and then, then we'll pray, okay? Uh, Point number three is that we, we wait. First, we cry out, then we fess up, and then we wait and hope. Do you hear this? He's waiting. He's already confessed his sins, and it's certain he is waiting for God to restore the fellowship and the intimacy, right? He's not waiting on forgiveness. He has that. The guilt's removed. The stain is removed. He's just waiting for it. It's like when I called my dad and he said, son, don't worry about it. I'm on the way. I knew my dad forgave me. I knew he did. I was just waiting on him to show up. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Look at, look at verse five. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. I served time. <laughs> that sounds funny. Feels like it. I served time as a security guard overnight in California when I was going to seminary. My shift was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., and I can tell you, man, I, the dawn could not get there quick enough for me. That was just agonizing by yourself, waiting for the sun to rise. And the psalmist is saying, I'm waiting for God. And I know this, he will come and he will restore fellowship with me. His coming is a certain more sure than the dawn. You know, there's a lot of things that you don't know may or may not happen tomorrow. Right. You've got your Monday planned out. And I can tell you right now, it's probably going to be wrecked. It ain't going to go the way you want. There's, there's things you wonder, will this happen? Will that happen? But one thing is going to happen tomorrow. You can bank on it. You know what's going to happen? The sun is going to come up. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. And the psalmist is saying, I know this, that God coming and restoring my intimacy and fellowship and joy with him is as certain as the dawn. So that's the third point. You cry out, you fess up, you wait and hope. And then the last thing, and this is the most beautiful really, is that you witness when you have experienced God's forgiving grace, do you know what that turned you into? It turned you into an evangelist. <laughs> Look what he says here. He says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. You know, a lot of people have strategies. You know, if you want to be a good evangelist, you've got to have this gift and this training, and you've got to do this. There's the silver bullet. There's the secret sauce. Um, no, there's really not. Do you know what you need to have to be an effective strategic evangelist? You know what you have to have? A really good memory. You have to remember how God treated you when you were down in that pit and that you are no better than any of the other people that you want to share God's grace and call on them to repent, to turn, cry out to God, 
turn from your sin because with God, there is forgiveness. He is ready to forgive. He is abounding in steadfast love. And you know, the only, the only reason that we have this hope is because of Jesus. Jesus was in the pit. Jesus was down in the depths. Jesus was swallowed up with darkness and with wrath. And he cried out to God and God didn't answer his prayer, did he? The darkness and the wrath of God swallowed Jesus up whole. But he punched through and walked out the other side. And his message to us is freedom and liberation and forgiveness and full pardon can be yours today if you cry out to God and turn from your sin to him. He is ready to forgive you. So I would just end this message in this way. Whatever pit you're in or wherever pit you're going to be in, that's of your own making. When you're there, when you fall, when you're drinking dirty creek water spiritually and eating bugs and ants, will you please remember this? With God, there is forgiveness. Just cry out to him. He hears you. He loves you. He wants to come and pardon you and, and straighten what is bent and broken and out of place and misaligned so that your life can be put back together and you can be a new creature. Amen. Christians, still sin and God still forgives. That's the best news in the world. And maybe we need to hear that today, even on Mother's Day, okay? So let's close out in prayer and then we're gonna have some announcements in our charge. Lord Jesus, thank you that with you there is forgiveness, that you love to forgive. You love to pardon your people when they come to you in brokenness and humility and desperation. And thank you for that truth, Lord. And I pray if anything that I've said is unclear, or unhelpful, or just untrue, Lord, misguided, just please, Lord, we're all sheep, and we need your Holy Spirit to help us interpret the Bible the right way and to apply it. I just know, Lord, the truth that we forget most often, the truth that we need to be reminded of, and certainly the world needs to be reminded of, is this. We know that we're sinners. We know we don't keep your law. We know that we are unfaithful in a thousand different ways, but what our heart most needs to be reminded of is that with you, there is forgiveness. There is always forgiveness and with you only is there forgiveness so may we make quick paths back to you where we will find a father's loving heart ready to pardon us lord and and set our feet up out of the miry pit and back on level ground right under the cross with all the other pardon centers lord uh, and, and you made us children of god now we're saints that's our new identity our new status lord thank you for that i pray all these things in christ's name amen, amen. All right, Megan. Okay, thank you, Tommy. Just a few announcements for you guys today. Um, if you and your kids have not uh, contacted Miss Courtney um, and would like to uh, show her that you know your April memory verse, um, there's still time to do that. So you can shoot her an email at um, littlekids at gracelifeflorida.com or you can message us on any of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, um, and we'll get you in touch with her. So make sure you do that this week um, if you know your April memory verse. Um, we just want to let you know you can continue to stay connected with us um, on Facebook, Instagram, um, our general email address and our website. Um, our email address is contact at gracelifeflorida.com. Um, if there's anything that you need, um, prayer, uh, you, you need updates, anything like that, contact us, visit our website. Um, we're continuously updating all of those platforms um, with our, our Zoom gatherings um, and our prayer meetings and um, our live stream services as well. Um, 
Speaking of prayer gatherings, um, May 12th at 7.30 p.m., um, the Women Knowing God, um, our women's ministry will be praying together. Um, and then May 19th at 7.30, the men, uh, Men Knowing God, will be praying together as well. Um, if you would like those Zoom links, you can find them in the Church Center app, um, which is also linked to our website. If you click the upcoming events, you can find it there too if you don't have the app. Um, or you can shoot us an email and we will get you those links. Um, now you can stand with us in your living room and we can say our charge together for those of you who are here with us if you want to stand and we will say it together. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.